Good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here. Um, as we begin this series called The Family of Tomorrow, I just want to tell you this really stems out of our heart to equip every member of a family in, uh, in their role and to engage that and to uh, succeed in that. And uh, one of the key things that uh, you may have uh, received in the mail, email, that is, this morning, is an invitation by a group called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is really a, um, a Christian resource. It's kind of like the Netflix for Christians. You can see a whole bunch of different Bible studies. There's a whole bunch of children's programs, family, parenting, conflict resolution, a whole bunch of different materials. I uh, responded to that invitation this morning and took a look at what they have to offer. And I'm just amazed by all this stuff. It's completely free to you. Our church is paying a monthly subscription fee because we really want you to have all these resources in your hands so that you be, you can be equipped in life. And you're kind of going to be overwhelmed by how many opportunities there are to, to grow and learn in it. But we've never lived in a better time to access life-giving information. And we want to equip you with that. So respond to it. If you don't want it, don't respond to it. No big deal. But if for some reason you didn't get that email and you would like these resources... Make sure at the bottom of your per, your uh, worship program, you fill out that card and uh, just give us your email. Drop it off at the information center and we can make sure you get an invitation for that. There's also, uh, we want to make this even available to your friends. So when you sign up, you can invite your friends to do that. Again, no charge and you aren't going to be getting solicited by their email or anything like that. We really wanted to just keep it for information that you could use. And, uh, you know, as we continue now and begin this uh, and launch this series, I want to talk to you about the family. We're going to be having over these next five weeks meaningful conversations about your family. And when we talk about family, I just want you to know the family has changed. It looks different than it used to look. I grew up in church and used to be that most vast majority of the families were had a mom and dad and kids. Uh, the family has changed. And as we love more people here at Fellowship, we realize God entrusts us with a whole bunch of different types of families. There's types of families with mom and dad. There's blended families where a relationship didn't work out and both had kids and they got remarried and now the family's blended and you're have to, having to deal with the challenges of that. There's single parent families and you're challenged with uh, having the capacity to meet the needs of your children. No matter where you are in the family, uh, that, that picture is something that God calls us into, even though that picture has changed. And when you think about that family, it also elicits a whole bunch of different emotions. There are some of us, when we hear the word family, there's joy. Others of us, there's tension. When we hear the word family, some of us have a great feeling of love and appreciation for our family. Others of us are angry that things didn't work out the way we expected them to. Some of us, when we think family, it's just a soothing, relaxing picture, and we look forward to spending time. Others, that word family brings up anxiety and worry. But I want to share with you four key truths that we're going to be coming back to each week. And the first truth is this. We need to realize that what's real in your family is not always ideal. Family pride, I've known in my own family, can blind me to the dysfunctions that are in our family. Family pride that says, we are these people. We are the Kennedys. We are the Hishmas. We are this. We don't struggle with things like that. And so there's this elephant in the living room that keeps us from, from addressing the dysfunctions that we have. 
On the other side of the spectrum, there's when your family has a whole bunch of brokenness, it's really difficult to see hope. It's dark. It's depressing. You wonder, does anyone else know what we're going through here? And, you know, those are the two spectrums. On a really good day when everything's going well, you're so proud and you press, you know, change the status on my Facebook past, Facebook uh, post because everyone needs to know how great my family's going here. And on this side, there's no way we said my kid failed out of college. There's no way my kid failed out. Let's post that on Facebook. Hey, I've just gained 20 pounds. Post, you know, we don't write those things. We wonder, does anyone else feel like us? No one knows what I'm going through. And we can be really, really isolated. So when we come to a conversation like this, there's this feeling and sometimes the pushback. Joe, are you going to paint paint a picture of the perfect family and you're going to call me to fit in by that? Because I've been frustrated by that picture. That picture has been killing me because it's not reality in my life. Well, here's the reality. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're not going to call you into a perfect picture for your family. Our goal is ultimately to call you into a bigger story and invite God into your family. And what could look like for you to begin or continue following God in your role with your family? We want to be a place of encouragement here that goes to God's word and grasps his vision for us and our role in our families. We want to be encouragement. So many churches operate with the the grid of God is good. You're bad. Be good. See you next week. And that's all. I mean, you just see that pattern each time. So you're always falling short. You're never quite grasping and having anything to hang on to on how to live practically. Well, you know, beneath the smiles, beneath the clothing of Sunday morning, there's a veneer. Uh, Underneath that veneer, you cannot hide the realities that things aren't as they should be in your family. And that's because things aren't as they should be with you (laughs) or me. Uh, The reality with the the family or marriage or anything like that is it's it's made up of broken people. And what's ideal is not always, uh, what's right, real is not always ideal. Secondly, you need to take heart. Because history reveals, biblical history reveals a perfect God using imperfect families to tell his story. You know, when families are going through a difficult time and they give me a call and, hey, we need to talk, I need to tell you, and sometimes it's one of the people in the family and they just go, I just wish I had a biblical family. And I go, no, you don't want a biblical family. Trust me on this. Have you read the Bible? Do you see some of the families that are in the Bible? I mean, let's not even get out of the book of Genesis. You've got Adam and Eve made in the image of God, crafted without sin. I mean, these people didn't have sin. I've never had a day like they did. And they did. And they walked with God and they talked with him. But guess what else they did? The same legs God created them to walk with him, walked away from him. And so they have two kids. One's Cain, one's Abel. They were always competitive. And it even translated into worship. God accepted Abel's a sacrifice. He did not accept Cain because of his heart. So what does Cain do? He murders his brother. Folks, we're not even out of the first family. They're the first family in the Bible. And there's murder. Joe, let's move on. Adam and Eve, they blew it. Let's talk about Abraham. Okay, let's talk about Abraham. Abraham has this promise from God. I will bless you. I'll make you a great nation. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. Follow me, Abraham. Abraham believed God. God counted it to him as righteousness. 
But Abraham had to leave that defining moment and live his life. That life wasn't as ideal as he expected. He uh, Difficult times fall on him. He, famine happens. He goes to Egypt and he's nervous because Pharaoh sees his beautiful wife and says, who's she? He goes, she's my sister. Would you like her as your wife? Now, I've been frustrated with my wife, but I've never pawned her off on a pharaoh, okay? And that's what Abraham does. He goes, and boy, what happens? Pharaoh has this curse. What? Why didn't you tell me she's your wife? (laughs) Okay, you get this guy who lived by faith, who's pawning his wife. Oh, but it gets better, doesn't it, Joe? Not exactly. This promise that God says, hey, follow me. I'll have from you, I'll, I'll, I'll have all your descendants, are as numerous as the stars are going to be. There were no children, though. So his wife has this idea. Hey, sleep with my servant, and maybe she can produce a child for you. He goes, okay, if you say so. So they do. And our world has never been the same. Major economic national divides have happened because of that incident from between um, Israel and the Arabs. I mean, I'm one of the Arabs. Look out. I mean, all of this has happened because a family has dysfunction. Oh, but Joe, it gets better, does it? Look at Jacob. We're going to end this series, the last week, on, on Jacob. Jacob had a preferred wife, and he had a less preferred wife. Leah's out there, and, and Jacob robs Esau of the birthright. That'll work well in the family. And so he goes, and, and he vowed to kill him. So they flee each other. Major dysfunction. And, and then they finally reunite. They both are married. They both have ch- children and multiple kids. And what does he do on the reuniting? This is the family reunion. He puts his less preferred wife and her kids at the front of the pack. And his most preferred wife and her kid right next to him. Because if if Esau was going to come back angry and slay everyone, he'd lose the people less important to him. That works well in the family. And that's in the Bible, folks. We're not even outside of the book of Genesis. You don't want a biblical family. Take heart. And that's why I want you to think about it. Your less than ideal family exists to reflect the heart of God to every generation. The Bible doesn't give a perfect family, a picture of a perfect family. But the Bible does give a picture of a perfect God using imperfect families to tell his story. And your less than ideal family is invited into the story of God. My family, your family, that less than ideal family is brought into the story of God. And you're going to be called to some biblical principles that that God has been talking to families about for a long time. And if we can if we can be involved in this, look out, transformation can happen. You are here to reflect the heart of God to every generation. I think about the heart of God to my generation, and it really is a result of my my dad and him hearing about the heart of God when he was just a little bit over 10 years old. His father died when he was 10 years old. His liver shut down, and, and he passed away. So he didn't have a dad. And one Saturday morning, an old widow knocked on the back of the door of my grandmother's house and said, hey, I'm really sorry. I heard uh, I'm your neighbor, and I heard that your husband passed away. 
And I, here's the meal. She brought her a meal. And then she said, and if your kids aren't going to church, I'd like to take them to church with me. And my grandmother said, as long as you don't baptize them, take them to church. She came from kind of an Eastern Orthodox environment and where they believe that if you baptize the kids, everything's fine for the rest of their lives. And so uh, she just didn't want them baptized. So they, th- this lady named Edith Tapper took my, my father and my aunt to church. And it was at that church they heard about the love of God for them. It was at that church that they trusted in Christ. It was at that church that men gathered around my dad and became a male role model for him. It's in that church my dad met my mom. It's in that church that that when I was born, I was in the nursery. And it's in that church I heard about Jesus each week. So I'm here a lot because the heart of God was reflected through my family. And my kids have the gospel because of one lady knocking on a door in 1940-something, uh, giving a meal and inviting my family to church. Who knows what God's going to do with your family? But he wants each, he's given us, a, uh, us the family to reflect his heart for each, to each and every generation. And so here's what I want us to act upon, right? Transformation tomorrow happens when you invite God into your family today and follow his way. Each week we're going to bring into this. When you invite God into your family today and begin to follow his way for you. There's this thought. It's a thought in many of our minds that say, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I'm good, there's this magical wand that happens and instantly I change. In the American culture, we want instant change. We don't want to wait for it. But transformation in the long term, is a result of a daily walk with Jesus. And that takes time. That takes um, each day and trusting God each day and following his will for you each day. It's not something that just rubs off on you because you've walked into church this morning. It's because you want to move and walk with God when you're apart from here as you're walking with him in this room. And your family's part of that. So each week, we're going to call you to answer a transforming question. Uh, we're going to talk about one today, but we're going to always call you then to act on this. And if you'll act on this question, you'll answer this, and you'll provide an answer in your daily walk with Jesus. It's amazing the transformation that can happen tomorrow. We're going to be talking about a key issue related to families and what keeps us from loving each other as Christ has loved us. Because that's the role of the family. And you're going to be called into this process. So wherever you are, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you're married, if you're not married, we all fill a role in a family. And we're going to call, be called into that. Uh, today, though, we're going to be calling, talking to you about what happens when what's real in my family is conflict. And you know, the word of God addresses people in conflict. God has been talking to people in conflict. He's actually called people into a relationship with him who are conflicted with him and with the people in their lives. And so a great New Testament book to talk about this is the book of James. Would you turn to James chapter 4 with me? And the Bible is going to show us what's the cause, what's the effect, and what's the solution of conflict in our families. You think about conflict in your family, and I think about conflict between husbands and wives. I think about parents and children, conflict between grandparents and parents, conflict between extended family. Something was said, something was done, feelings were hurt, relationships were broken. 
James addresses this in, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And he shows us the reason we all get into conflict with each other. Look at this. It says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Let's unpack this a little bit because it really shows us the cause of conflict. And he asks a great question. What causes conflict in you? We rarely ask that question because we just kind of see this big dark hole of conflict in our lives. But, but we rarely ask this question and, and it's, it's a good one. It's a, it's one that moves us to think about ourselves. What inside you causes tension, causes conflict? And he gives us three answers. One, there's passions inside of us and there are war inside of us. Not many of us can put our finger on it, but we all have an unrecognized expectation for our families, for people, how people ought to behave in our families, for what people ought to value in our families. And when it's different than ours, we don't even say it to them, but it keeps us in conflict with them. Secondly, he says, there's desires. You desire what you do not have. That's an unattainable expectation, something you don't have. And it causes you to draw, maybe it's a, a picture, a perfect picture of how you expect your family to be. And when they're not that, you get ticked. And the third thing is you covet. And this is kind of a, an inaccessible expectation. You can't obtain it. And so you react. See, conflict occurs when desires within me affect the people around me. And again, coming back to that picture of uh, that, how your family ought to be, how your spouse ought to act, how your children ought to behave, how your parents should be or act or perform with you. We build these expectations. Some of them are we go to church and we go, boy, I wish I could be like that family. And because we kind of all look like everything's going fine when we show up with nice clothing or, you know, like we're balanced and mature. And, And the reality is, is is there's conflict. We build this picture and then there's a missed expectation. And especially if you don't communicate that expectation, it's like, it's like giving a test in school and never telling anyone what's on that test. Can anyone pass? (laughs) No one can pass when you don't know what's going to be on that test. It may even be a totally different subject that you never talk about. And all of a sudden you put in a test and no one can match that test. So everyone feels... Everyone feels like they're missing. And, and if they are missing something, you're always communicating that they're not measuring up. And the effects of conflict, look at what it says here. Unresolved conflict leads to chaos. The Bible gives some pretty strong words here. It says, so you murder. That's really strong, isn't it? There's fights. There's quarrels. And we can build the case on why we get, don't get along with people. We can write a story about them. A great book I've read recently is a book called Crucial Conversations. It's written by a guy named Joseph Greeny. And he talks about why do we get into fights in, in the business world, in a, on a church staff, in a church with our neighbors, all that. Why do we get into fights? And usually something's happened where you've been hurt. But instead of going to a person and keeping a short account, you, you just start stoking that hurt with more and more emotion. And as you build that emotion, that emotion then writes a story about that person. 
This person did that. They must be, here's it, here's the story. They must be selfish. They must be uncaring. They must be insensitive. Life must be all about them. And then they do another thing and you write another chapter. And so you start writing the book on someone. And instead of seeking to resolve and keeping short accounts and resolving the conflict, you just say, well, shows you it. Just the case. That's my case. And it, it builds the rationale in your own mind to do two things, to move to silence. In other words, withhold love from them. And call them a disappointment or violence to act out. You're never, you're always like this because you've built the case. Unresolved conflict results in chaos. And here's why. Very, all of us have a very small capacity to handle unresolved conflict before it spills out into all the relationships in our lives. That's why the word of God always sees conflict as an opportunity. In James chapter 5, verse 16, there's a life-giving verse for us in conflict. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, this is, this is the picture here. This is the picture that God is calling us into. It's called confession. Now, let's just go back to that black hole of conflict. Can we go back to that slide? I'm sorry, I missed it. When you're going through conflict, a lot of times it's just really easy when you think about that person in in the place of their face, you have just this black hole and it's really bad and it's all their fault and it's not going to get any better because they're not going to change. It's just who they are. But as long as we see life like that and see the conflict like that, we can't We can't invite God into our story. We blame it all on them and we rationalize our behavior for how we treat them. And that shows itself over and over in the family. The family just cycles that through, through different relationships. But here's what I want to put forth. Every expert will tell you that if you can take responsibility for just 10% of the conflict, just 10%, if you can say, boy, there's something about me that might be responsible for that. My goodness, light becomes an opportunity. And this opportunity, just even the 10%, is confession. It's the opportunity for you to say, I was wrong. A life-giving statement. You may be right. (laughs) That's a good thing to say. When there's conflict in your relationship with your child, it might be good for you to say, honey, I've been way too harsh on you. Honey, I've been disappointed that you haven't, and here's, just go honest, you haven't measured up to my expectations. Whoa. See, the, the reality is, is that's what's happening. You don't say it to your kids, but that's what's happening. They're falling short of your expectations, and they know it. For you to say it, my goodness, it starts the healing process of conflict. I've had to say statements like this. Hey, I'm pretty insensitive to your feelings, Cheryl, to my wife. I've not really listened to you. Do you know what? My wife knew that. She knew that all along. I wasn't telling her anything she didn't know. But it's something when she actually knew that I saw that about me. Because we're blinded to each other, in real life, blinded to ourselves 
in relationships. I've had to say to my own kids, hey, hey, uh, Jack, I've tried to push you into my mold. And, and, and that's unfair for you. That's not good for you. I, you've been created by God to be a, a man on your own. You go and, and be that man. And, and I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you. Those are life-giving words. Can I tell you this? I know guys in their 60s and 70s who are still longing for a dad to come alongside them and say, I am proud of you. Don't wait for your deathbed to say that to your children. Don't wait for your, don't wait for, it gets too late to, to say it to a brother or a sister or a niece or a nephew. We can be a blessing, but it begins with confession. The prayer of a righteous, let's go back to that verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. See, God always gives grace to the humble. He always gives, when, when we're willing to confess our sin, as the book of 1 John says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, transformation happens when we're willing to stop pursuing what you want for your family and begin to ask what God wants for my family. This is our transforming question. It's something that if we could answer today, God will transform tomorrow. Because I know what I want for my family. And many of us are operating with a picture of what we want for our families. I want my kids to uh, excel and do really good in activities. And so they're going to be in sports. They're going to be in, in uh, debate. They're going to be, you know, not mine, I, well, I mean, some of yours, in dance. Or they're going to be in a whole bunch of different activities. And my goodness, the family is frantic. And these days when you're involved in fra- uh, activities, you can't just go to one practice and one game a week. No, no, that's what the normal people do. The fully committed, you're in there three times a week. And I mean, and if you have more than one kid, how can you keep up with all the activities? But why do you do it? Because activities are what we want for our kids. And we hurry them and we lose out on the most important things. And we just become chasing after our kids on this. But we pass it on from generation to generation. Like, I like my kids to be involved, involved in activities. Another thing we chase, what, I, what do we want from them? I want academics. I want my kid at the top of the class. Why? Because they'll get the best school opportunities and scholarship. They'll get the best jobs in life. So, honey, you better get good on that ACT. And if you don't, look out. I mean, and there's this pressure we put on our kids. This is what I want for you. And we also want a good attitude. Right? When you show up in this house, I want to smile. Don't, don't pull this puberty stuff. Get over it. And, and, you know, we aren't like that. We're a much happier family than the way you're acting right now. You're such a disappointment to us around this dinner table. And it becomes more like Festivus, right? You're a huge disappointment to me. The reality is, is we've got to step away from our view and our want for the family. So much conflict is caused by those passions, those desires, those coveting, of a picture that's not your family, that's causing you to live in that conflict. You see, what I found is that more than awards, accomplishments, appearances, God wants the heart of my family. 
He wants your heart. And a great passage that shows this is found in Deuteronomy 6. Brian is going to preach about this next week, and I really want to encourage you to come back. He's going to unpack this passage (coughs) in Deuteronomy 6, but I want to just kind of give you a preview of it. In Deuteronomy 6, God is calling families how to love each other and how to love him. Look what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Do you see that picture? God wants the hearts of our families. He wants your heart. He wants your children. He wants your brother's and sister's heart. It's the number one target of a relationship with God. It's not in you showing up and checking off the box. It's not in you meeting with God every day. Uh, that's, those are all good things. But the reason we do those things is to have a heart relationship with our God and to have a heart relationship with each other. I want to extrapolate three things then that we could ask God for our family. And we have a loving Heavenly Father. That's how God presents himself in the scriptures. He's a loving Heavenly Father who's who wants to give good things to his children who ask. Can I just put out three things from this passage that God wants to give to our families and things we can boldly ask him for? First one is this. Pray that pray for them to seek God more than anything in their lives. I think about what this prayer could do to for our sons, <coughs> excuse me, our daughters, our nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, if they would seek after God. It's a daily prayer that that involves far more than just showing up and checking the box. Seeking involves interest. Some of you have children who aren't seeking the Lord right now. Pray this for them. Some of you have children who know the Lord and are following the Lord. Pray for them to continue seeking after the Lord. I think about this in my own life and uh, I can get, I've been in the Bible for a long time. I've studied the Bible for a long time. And if I just show up with my time with the Lord going, okay, I'm going to read this, check the box, write in the journal and move on without seeking God in his word. God, what would you have me do? If I don't prepare my heart to seek after him, to find him in his word, look out, it can be a cancer of just a rote and stale relationship. Pray for your kids to seek after the Lord. Archbishop of Canterbury, in in the year 1109, a guy named Anselm prayed this to the Lord. He says this, Lord, let me seek you in the longing... Let me long long for you in the seeking. Let me find you in love and love you in finding. It's just a, a man who is passionate about seeking after the Lord. Joe, you don't know my family. No one's seeking after the Lord. What's your first step? Pray for them to seek the Lord more than anything else in their lives. By the way, your kids... Your brothers, they're already seeking. I mean, the great theologian Bono says they still haven't found what they're looking for. But the reality is, is with Christ, we can find. He is. It's it's the one who seeks, finds. It's a promise. So we can pray for families to seek. Second thing to pray for your family is we can pray for our families to 
for them to love God more than everything else in their lives. I love what this passage says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God was, God is that number one position, not a close second. He's, he's number one in that picture. And out of all the things we could love, we're called to love Him with everything. This is a relationship with God. It's motivated. It's sustained by love. So by praying for your family to love God, my goodness, everything follows what you love. You'll move mountains to get with someone you love. You won't worry about the cost to be with someone you love. Love is that motivation. Far beyond principles to know and practices to do. When our families are engaged with their hearts in a relationship with God, everything else follows that. Pray for them to love God more than everything. Joe, they're a huge disappointment They don't live for the Lord. They don't believe like us. They're doing things that, I mean, the Bible clearly, clearly states as sin. How can I love them? Quick question. Does God love them? Yes. Why has he put them in your family for you to love? Is it conditional love? Well, are you loved by God conditionally? Did he wait for you to measure up before he loved? Nope. Nope. In our sin, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to measure up. He came and gave himself up for us. And just because you love someone doesn't mean I totally value everything you're doing in your life. They shall be my values if I love you. No. No, we've got to be willing to say, I love you just because you're mine. And I'm always going to love you. That shows more the love of God than it does your normal human love. Pray for them to love God more than everything. And finally, pray for them to follow God more than anyone else. I think about all the places, all the people that uh, my kids could follow. I think about all the people I could follow with my life. And I've just learned over time that God's the best one to follow. He'll never lead me astray. He's been faithful. He's called people for a long time to follow him. And he's always blessed them when he has, when they have. I remember one time in my life, I wish my kids were popular. I'm sorry, but I have to confess that. And then my oldest went into middle school. And I saw what popular was. And I wanted nothing to do with popularity. I wanted my kids not, I don't want them to do that. Why? Because they're in middle school. I mean, Middle school is you talk like everyone who's popular. You dress whatever. They have to have the right brand of shoes to be popular. They have to be involved in the right activities. They got to be very, very successful. And it just teaches your kids to be squished into a mold and to conform and conform and conform and to have the world just squish in. And you as a family can chase that dream and just be squished yourself. You're not following God at that moment. I was substantiated by a New York Times uh, article recently that traced kids who were the leaders in middle school. And they traced them through early adulthood and then middle adulthood. And guess what they found? The leaders in middle school were the losers the rest of their lives. They weren't successful. They could never keep a job. And they, they were always, they, they didn't succeed in life. So if you're a leader right now, if you're at the top of your pack and you're the popular person in middle school, look out. Just kidding. Just kidding. But it really challenges us. 
We've got to stop seeking after and following after popularity. And we need to humble ourselves. And we need to follow God above anyone else. Pray for your family to do that. We all have an image of who we want to be. But don't put anyone in that who we want to be except Jesus. That's the place. That was when we are created to follow. And so we're called into following him. Seek God, love God, follow God. You willing to pray that for your family? See, on this card that you've received, it's the question. It says, what am I asking God for in my family? I've given you that answer. Pray for them to seek God more than anything, to love God more than everything, to follow God more than anyone. If you will pray that for them, your heavenly father loves to work. He loves to work and answer that prayer. Put this in a place where you could pray that each day this week. And if you just need an angle of it, when you fall short, when you're experiencing conflict with that family member you're praying for, confess your sins one to another. Come back to grace. When you fall short, keep accounts short. Resolve through confession and take responsibility for your part of the conflict. But pray this for your family. Keep this in a place where you can do that. And here's how I want to close today. I want to pray for your family in these three areas. So would you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes and clear away your distractions. Pray for your families right now, wherever you're at. If you don't have children, pray for your nieces and nephews. Pray for, for the people God has placed in your life who are your family. Let's practice. Pray for them right now to seek the Lord to seek God more than anything else in their lives. Pray for them to love God more than everything else in their lives. Pray for them to follow God more than anyone else in their lives. Now, can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person you brought into this room today. And I thank you for their willingness to have a meaningful conversation about the family. And Lord, thank you for our families. Some of them may be, uh, have a lot of conflict and some may just be very uh, loving and caring. But Lord, I, I just pray for each of us that, that if we want this in them, would it begin? Would you begin with us right now? May we seek after you more than we seek after anything else in this world. May we love you more than everything else in our world. And may we follow you more than anyone else in our world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.